news, best news. The lamb that was slain is worthy to receive power and divinity and wisdom and strength and honor. To him be glory and empire forever and ever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We are enveloped in the grace of today's festival of Christ the King. Wrapped round in the sights and sounds and fragrances of the heavenly liturgy. Did not the intro of the Mass place us in heaven? It was taken from the fifth chapter of the Apocalypse. St. John, wide-eyed, gazes at the heavenly liturgy that unfolds before him. He describes it. The four living creatures and the four and twenty ancients fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And he hears the sound of a new canticle in praise of the Lamb, the very Lamb whom he had seen immolated upon the altar of the cross, the Lamb from whose open side there came out blood and water. And this is the canticle that John hears. The Lamb that was slain is worthy to receive power and divinity and wisdom and strength and honor. To him be glory and empire forever and ever. Do you not recognize what is shown us in the introit? I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. What is this mystery, if not what shone with heavenly brightness? at the gable end of the little church of Knock, on that rainy August evening in 1879. Knock was literally a revelation, which means a pulling back of the veil, an apocalypse, a fleeting glimpse of things no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor human heart conceived, the welcome God has prepared for those who love him. Yes, today's feast of Christ the King is more of heaven than of earth. The adoration of the Lamb fills all of heaven with jubilation. 
And the heavenly adoration of the Lamb spills over onto the earth, where the body of Christ is torn, disfigured, soiled, and in tatters, repairing what is torn, this heavenly adoration, restoring what is disfigured, washing clean what is soiled, and making whole what hangs in tatters. Not only does the heavenly adoration of the Lamb spill over onto earth, it drops sweetness into purgatory for the refreshment of waiting souls. When in 1925, Pope Pius XI instituted the Feast of Christ the King, it's a modern feast, a new feast, he fixed this new feast on the last Sunday of October, designedly the Sunday before the Feast of All Saints, the Church Triumphant, and before All Souls Day, the Church Suffering, giving all the world, the Church Militant, in one immense sweeping glance, the measureless measure of the kingship of Christ. Over myriads of angels and all the saints of heaven, over all who have dwelt or dwell or who will dwell in this earthly valley of tears, and over the holy souls gone down into purgatory whence they await a merciful release. At the request of Pope Pius XI, the Cathedral of Meath in Mullingar became in 1939, the first cathedral in the world to be dedicated to Christ the King. We then, of the Diocese of Meath, have good reason to go deeply into the mystery of today's feast and to expect, to expect a lavish outpouring of graces in keeping it. Today is also a Benedictine feast, in the sense that for St. Benedict, the monastic life, he says it in the prologue of the Holy Rule, is nothing less than the service of the Lord Christ, the true King, the very words of St. Benedict. The monastic life is, as St. Benedict sets forth in the prologue, a battle engaging those in his royal service to fight with the strong and bright weapons of obedience. A man enters the cloister not to enjoy a tranquil little corner of sweet repose, but to imitate Saint Antony of Egypt, Saint Benedict, and all our fathers of old, who, trusting in Christ the King, exposed themselves in spiritual combat 
and gave their blood for him, clinging to the word of the king in the gospel, my kingdom is not of this world. The Benedictine way of the cross, the royal way, begins in Gethsemane, where Christ, we read in the epistle to the Hebrews, offered prayer and entreaty to the God who could save him from death, not without a piercing cry. What would have been that cry in Gethsemane? Not without a piercing cry, not without tears. What were those tears? Yet with such piety as won him a hearing. The Lord Christ, the true King, exposed himself upon the rock of Gethsemane. Our new Jacob, wrestling through the night in prayer, and his sweat became as drops of blood trickling down upon the ground. And today's feast resounds with the ancient piety of Cluny. Tu rex gloriae Christe, laus tibi domine rex eterne gloriae. Thus, it is a Eucharistic feast. The choir service of the monastery is a ceaseless round of homage to the King who dwells in our midst. Our watches of adoration before the altar are in effect a confession of the real presence here of Christ, the silent King, the humble King, hidden under a morsel of bread. Where the King is, there is all power. Where the king is, there is all mercy. Where the king is, there is copious redemption. Copiosa apud eum redemptio. It is enough simply to appear in the presence of the king. You needn't prepare a fine speech. Simply go in. He sees all that we carry in our hearts. We cannot present ourselves before him, even fleetingly, without him seeing in us all that we think secret. Things long forgotten. The fingerprints of a lifetime somehow impressed on the soul. Thou hast set our iniquities before thy eyes, our life in the light of thy countenance. So do we pray in Psalm 89 every Thursday morning at Lord's. Our life in the light of thy countenance. 
Christ the hidden king sees all. And with the divine power that is his, he sets about repairing all that is brought before him. For this reason, today is a feast of adoration and reparation. There comes a moment in adoration of the Most Blessed Sacrament when one senses that nothing makes sense but to surrender to the divine operations of the host. In this moment, God becomes the repairer, and the soul, stripped of all her pretensions and defenses, enters into a state of reparation not by acting, but by allowing the host to repair her. This is, at the deepest level, the work of reparation. Christ the King's repairing of his church begins and goes forward whenever and wherever even one soul consents to being repaired by the action of God upon her and in her. The whole body of Christ is cleansed, healed, strengthened and restored when even the littlest member of the body, having exhausted all the human means at his disposal, adores the host and allows the host to repair him in ways that are as mysterious and imperceptible as they are divine and transforming. The Church will be repaired and built up again in our own day, as in the age of St. Benedict, and in the age of Cluny and of Gregory VII, and in the age of the little poor man of Assisi, and in the age of Mother Mechtilde of the Blessed Sacrament amidst the ravages of Protestantism, and in the 19th century of so many saints praying amidst the rubble left in the wake of a godless revolution, the Church will be repaired and built up one soul at a time. Be such souls. Oblate Brother Patrick, I address you in particular today. Allow the grace of this Feast of Christ the King to mark you deeply as a child of St. Benedict. Put yourself unreservedly at the service of the King. But as the littlest and least of his divine household, he will do in you all that you of yourself and by yourself are unable to do. An oblate is essentially one left upon the altar, motionless, silent, utterly abandoned to the action of God. And you, my dear son, Brother John Baptist, you are deep in the retreat 
of preparation for your profession on Thursday. Do you see the liturgical providence of God for you at this moment of your life? Lay hold of the graces of today's feast with both hands, or better yet, hold yourself before the king with empty hands. Offer him your poverty. Offer him your silence. Offer yourself to the flame of an adoration that consumes slowly, sparing nothing. The king who has called you to his service, the king who has given you a place in his house, will do in you all that he desires to find in you. And you will sing, and we, all of us, will rejoice to sing with you. Where else should the sparrow find a home? The swallow a nest for her brood, but at thy altar, Lord of hosts, my King and my God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.